They whooped the pants off of a highly rated Oklahoma State team yesterday. Sorry, Billy. Uh, and you might wonder why I'm wearing a Jayhawk emblem today. Well, uh, the positive I can say is KU didn't lose yesterday. They had a bye. <laughs> but, uh, Wildcats, I've got some bad news for you. Sorry to break it to you this way, but there was another KU football team that whooped the pants off of the Kansas State football team. That is the rugby football team. <laughs> 30 to zip yesterday. And that's the important one, because I don't know that we're going to be able to celebrate it uh, at Jayhawkville come the KUK State football game later this year. Hey, we're going to talk again about persecution today. Uh, and I have to admit, I was taken aback a little bit. Christy and I try to pray every morning together. And uh, yesterday she prayed that I would be prepared for this message and that it wouldn't be a downer. And so hopefully she was talking about the subject matter, not the presenter, okay? <laughs> yeah, and if it was the subject matter, we've, I, got, I need to tell you, we've got some really, really good news, okay? Uh, last month, we started on this beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we made the case that while Christians today, we don't see them thrown into the Colosseum and, you know, to be eaten by the lions or burned at the stake as torches. Nonetheless, severe persecution, including imprisonment, torture, and even death of Christians is occurring right now throughout much of the world. Now, in the United States, there's always been some resistance to the gospel, but nothing like we see in other lands. So it's really a stretch to even consider that kind of persecution here. However, the gradualism of societal evolution has made Bible believers the subject of increasing disdain and ridicule. And following the teachings of the Bible is often viewed as hateful speech, conduct, a worldview that really needs to be canceled. I just saw yesterday this amazing article. Apparently, there's a campus group at the University of Wisconsin that brought in a documentary called What is a Woman? Okay? And apparently, they were trying to say such ridiculous things that Biology determines what a woman is. You know that biology actually agrees with Christianity. Can you imagine somebody doing that? Now, if you know anything about Madison, it's kind of like Lawrence on steroids, all right? Uh, and the university itself uh, sent out a warning that they had to allow this on campus for legal reasons, but this could be harmful to our trans community. Then there's this video clip of this young, brave soul outside amongst the protesters, and he's reading out loud from his Bible, presumably Genesis, and, but you can't hear anything because on one side of him, there's a guy beating a can. On the other side, there's a young lady uh, with one of those megaphones you know, blaring a siren in his ear and protesters all around him, and apparently after that, they ripped his Bible away, tore it into shreds, and some of, some of the protesters actually were eating pages out of the Bible. Now, that's tolerance. 
Get it? The culture more and more calls for toleration for all except those expressions from God's word, literally calling good evil and evil good. Now, I'm not sure if I'm going to see martyrdom in my lifetime in the United States, but it seems like it's going in that direction. Now, what we're studying right now there, we just studied the first verse last week. It has two more verses to this beatitude, and where it says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. bit shocking, isn't it? What can possibly justify the command to be glad when we're hated, mocked, tortured, and yeah, Jesus is talking about all kinds of of persecution, even death. Now, deadly persecution was the lot of the prophets in the Old Testament. There are several passages in your handout, as well as New Testament saints. In Matthew 24, Jesus, looking forward, warns that is what the world will do to his followers. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Yeah. And Jesus warned us that this persecution would come even from religious people who think they're doing the will of God. In John 16, these things I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcast from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. So, what possible good can come from our persecution on earth? Well, one great example is John Bunyan, was, who was a Baptist uh, who did not conform to the Church of England, okay, and had such a fervor that he began preaching the gospel outside of the state-recognized church, and he was arrested. Now, the prosecutor didn't want to hold him, but he said, if you release me, I will preach again. So he was incarcerated for the next 12 years. Now, we in the United States cannot fathom why Bunyan would even be arrested given the such strong prohibition we have of government restriction on religious expression. But Bunyan's offense was a violation of what was called the Conventicle Act, which prohibited anyone from attending a religious gathering of more than five people, other than your own family, outside of the state-approved Church of England. So this is a clear example of the wisdom of our founders in prohibiting the establishment of a state religion or church as the very first provision of the First Amendment to our Constitution. However, despite that the injustice of that situation, despite how ridiculous it seems, God had other plans, and he used that unjust law and its resultant persecution for his purposes. While in jail, Bunyan wrote what we all know as the Pilgrim's Progress, the most widely known allegory ever written, commonly the first book that missionaries will translate after they finish translating the Bible. God had a purpose for the persecution of Bunyan, and I think he does for us as well. Now, Bunyan was just imprisoned, but what about the prospect of torture or death. Now, Jesus said to his disciples, 
most of whom would die as martyrs. Rejoice and be glad for when you're persecuted, when you're suffered. How does he say that? Now, because Jesus knows that the reward of heaven will more than compensate for any suffering we must endure in serving him. Now, there's a mystery here of joy in the midst of misery and suffering. And that mystery is contained in our faith. The rock-solid assurance that heaven is a hundredfold compensation for any and all pain we might endure here. To the extent that you trust Jesus, what, what he tells us about heaven, you will be able to rejoice and be glad in suffering for Great is your reward in heaven. Now, uh, one point to note here is that we should not be surprised at suffering. Uh, if you read the passage there, it says, blessed are you. That's in the second person plural, meaning his disciples, which includes us. We are all to apply this teaching. The word when means whenever. Whenever persecution comes. And for the early New Testament church, it came pretty quickly. Now, if you would at this point, I, I think it's important that we actually look at some scripture today. If you turn over to 1 Peter 2 in your Bibles or your apps, and I'll get to that in just a second here. Uh, first, you know, I want to refresh and expand upon what we covered last month about persecution that is not blessed. It's very important that we recognize the cause of our persecution. And we should not rejoice or expect God's blessing every time somebody reviles us and speaks evil against us. So, in 1 Peter, in chapter 2, he explains that, For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? Basically, Peter's saying, so what? Sin has consequences, doesn't it? And for that suffering... You don't receive any rewards in heaven, okay? But then he continues, but if when you do what is right and then suffer for it and patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Turn over a page or two to 1 Peter 4. There it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. You are souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So whenever persecution comes, it should not be a surprise. It's what we have been told to expect. Returning there to verse 13, but to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. And if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So when we suffer for ourselves, there's no prize. It says in verse 15, Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, thief, evildoer, or even a troublesome meddler. Now, I want to take a little aside here. 
it's easier to see somebody, suffer, somebody else suffering as a result of sin than to see it for ourselves. Uh, and when we see it, instead of, of having a, a, you know, pointing a I told you so finger at somebody, we need to wait for that person to open up to God. Yeah, God may be trying to teach them a lesson, but we need to be ready to come alongside and help the sufferer see their, that their only hope is in Christ. Now, there are exceptions, but usually the rescue mission is not helping completely innocent victims of circumstances, okay? You know what I mean. But the mission is there to help these sufferers see Christ in their loving response. And we should all remember, but by the grace of God, there go I. Verse 16 in 1 Peter 4, if anyone suffers as a Christian for my sake, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. So it's suffering in the name of Christ for righteousness, for doing what is right, that we are blessed. So when persecution comes, first question we should ask ourselves is, am I facing these difficulties because of something I did for Christ or Something else, like pride. Pride causes contention. And when our pride leads to disrespect uh, to authorities, it results in a reaction. Some mistake these natural responses from others for persecution. You know, my boss doesn't like me. It must be because I'm a Christian. Well, a demotion or a negative evaluation as a result of poor performance, laziness, or a bad attitude is not really the kind of persecution that leads to blessing. Rather, it's probably deserved. Words. The Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Our words can create deep wounds, which may bring reaction. Deeds. The Word tells us that, you know, man can only judge the outside and what he sees and and, and what you do. And a child is known by his doings. Our insensitive and selfish behavior causes others to reject or even seek retaliation against us. But when we suffer for acting out of hatred or selfishness, that's not the kind of persecution that's likely to be blessed. Finally, motives. Uh, while we should not, other folks will always try to figure out our motives, even subconsciously. If they sense that we're being nice or doing something for them for selfish reasons, they're going to react to us quickly. So if pride, wrong, wrong words, actions, or motivations are the cause of our persecution, we should not expect blessing, but rather reproof and perhaps even shame. Therefore, in times of trial, when you do suffer, Self-examination is vital. And if we find any of these causes, we need to make it right first. In other words, confess our sin, seek forgiveness, even from our persecutor or our perceived persecutor. And that takes great humility. But if our goal is God's blessing, it is worth it. You never know. Proverbs 16 says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him. Back to 1 Peter 4, verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. We need to clean up our own houses. 
take the beam out of our own eyes, our attitudes, our words, and our actions first. Continuing on verse 19, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God will entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. If I accept persecution and suffering as God's will for me at this time, and I trust him, I'll continue to do the right thing. Now, an interesting question, I think, for all of us is, if we do receive persecution, what will we do? Will it be to fight for God or flight for God? Okay? Hypothetically here, you know, this could happen uh, if you're a missionary in a country that's hostile to Christianity, but just suppose that the trend continues and we have real serious persecution here in America, and you find yourself in a situation which you've got a choice. Either the option to either stand for the truth of the gospel and face certain imprisonment or death, or escape to continue caring for your family, serving within the remaining church remnant, spreading the gospel, what would you do? Okay? Now, some of you might say, you know, uh, I'm standing for truth. I want to give it, get to heaven as soon as possible. Others might say, you kidding? I love my family. I want to continue to be a witness and serve the body, so I'm out of there if I can escape. Well, let me just suggest to you that the biblical answer is not quite as simple as our gut reactions, whatever they may be. First, to the anxious martyrs. That's not an ungodly desire, but consider this. Jesus escaped persecution several times when he was threatened with arrest, stoning, or being thrown off a cliff. And there are several passages in your, on your handout. He had a purpose, wasn't his time, and he escaped for that purpose. In 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, you can see that Paul was persecuted beyond our imagination, but when he was being hunted, he escaped when he could. Acts 12, James, the brother of John, is martyred by Herod, and Peter is captured and faces the same fate. But with the help of an angel, he escapes from prison. So, it's not always appropriate or God's will that you stand. But for the survivalist, again, not an ungodly uh, worldview, consider this. In John 11, when the word came to Jesus that Lazarus was ill, uh, it says, Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the, Jesus, the, Jews, excuse me, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Yeah. Jesus goes back to Judea in the face of death to raise Lazarus from the dead. It seems that Jesus escaped at times, but at other times he walked into very risky situations. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are falsely accused and arrested. Now, get this. They tore off their robes, they're beaten many times, they're thrown into the inner prison, and their feet are bound in stocks. What do they do? They pray and sing praises to God after that abuse, and the other prisoners and the jailer are all listening to them. Then they have a great earthquake, and the prison house shakes, and all the doors fling open, and everyone's chains are loosened, and 
It says, when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. I mean, he knew the penalty as a jailer for letting, allowing your prisoners to escape was death. However, verse 28, Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself. We're all here still. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, the jailer fell, fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved, you and your household. And they were. It's clear that Paul knew the Romans had no basis for holding and beating them. But he really didn't know what was going to happen. So Paul rejoices in his persecution, passes up the chance to escape for a higher purpose, to win over the jailer. On the other hand, in Acts 5, we read that Peter and the apostles are doing signs and wonders. Multitudes of believers were added to their numbers, and all the sick were being healed. And this gives, gets the attention of the high priest, who has them thrown into jail. Again, an angel releases them and commands them to preach in the temple, which they do. Then the high priest gets wind of this, and he has them hauled back in. And starting in verse 27, when they brought them, they stood them before the council. The chief priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and as a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So, for the survivalists, there are times when you do stand for the truth. Come what may, even if that's death. And finally, Jesus has the last word in Matthew 10. Bit of a long passage, but I think it's important that we go through it. Starting in verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved from that persecution." But whenever they persecute you in one city, hear this, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So from all this, my take is that the, our tendency, first of all, is fear and silence in the face of persecution. So we all need to be emboldened to stand for the gospel and biblical principle whenever we can, regardless of what society says. And if persecution comes, God will tell us what to say and what to do. There are times when the best witness is to suffer under persecution 
patiently whatever it may bring. And escape may not even be possible. But if, it actually, if we actually have physical threats, uh, it is not unbiblical or cowardly to take refuge elsewhere if your persecution is for Christ. We should also not expect persecution to be easy. This is a hard thing for, for Americans to understand. Now, Peter was never described as a senior pastor among the disciples, but he was clearly the first among equals. And as I read the events in Luke 22 uh, leading up to the resurrection, it hit me that Peter, the leader, must have been a bit stunned when Jesus warned him of Satan's test. Peter pledged allegiance to prison and death. But Jesus told Peter the bitter truth. You will deny me three times in the next few hours. And then he does exactly that. Now, if a committed disciple, a leader like Peter, can succumb to peer pressure to deny the master, what do you think it will be like for you and me? Now, we have the advantage of the example of Peter. We should learn from his experience. Rather than bold statements about our self-righteousness and our faith, it's better to humbly resolve in our hearts that we will take a firm stand. Now, uh, if you're under 25, you probably don't remember anything about Y2K. Okay, but it was kind of a big deal, okay, and it caused some of us to store up on a lot of stuff. We had no idea what was going to happen, you know, a lot of tabloids say it's, it's, it's going to be the end of everything. Uh, today we don't necessarily face that same thing, although there are rumblings that maybe we do. We're not going to focus on that, but we do see rumblings on the horizon, Several people who have immigrated to the United States from communist or dictatorial regimes have warned that they thought we were a country of freedom, and, but they're seeing the same kinds of processes and the same kinds of things happening that they saw in the evolution of their countries to uh, dictatorship. One American believer who has experienced persecution firsthand is Andrew Brunson. Andrew was a missionary in Turkey. Now, Turkey is a NATO ally of the United States. However, as an American citizen, Brunson was falsely accused of espionage, and he was imprisoned for two years before the Trump administration's securities release. His series called Prepare to Stand is a warning. We're watching this in our home group. He's not advising us to stop up, stock up on canned goods and generators and fuel but rather to prepare hearts for what he sees as inevitable persecution that we in the United States have never seen before. And part of his warning is his admission that he, as a missionary, a committed believer, almost gave up. Brunson had suicidal thoughts, and he warns, that the church and individual believers must come to a firm resolve to stand and look not to how they can regain a comfortable lifestyle or even, even survive, but rather look to eternity for their reward. So let's take a look at some of the steps that we can take to prepare for persecution. I don't know what's going to happen, but I think it's important to be there. 
to, to do these things. First of, first of all, decide to truly believe that God is real and means what he says in his word. This is really, really important. Please listen to me. The, the, the high school class that Christian and I facilitate uh, for, uh, uh, for homeschoolers, uh, the first half of the course is about the existence and the necessity of truth and the existence of God uh, before we go on to the reliability of the Bible and the gospel message. Why do we do that? Because of all the influential voices that are speaking into their heads. They're teachers and college professors and employers and military commanders and social media, even trusted friends who will sooner or later attack the existence of objective truth and or the existence of God. So standing for Christ in the face of persecution, even just ridicule, may make absolutely no sense if what they heard in primary Sunday school is reduced in their minds to a child's fairy tale. So the same is true, though, for adults. If you're just showing up in church, kind of for social interaction, just kind of playing church, but you do not have a solid basis for your belief in God and your desperate need for a Savior, what do you expect your response will be when you're challenged as part of the radical religious right, the, the haters, the, the moralists, the bigots, the Christian nationalists, or whatever pejorative they throw at you. We all need a solid foundation upon which to take a stand. If you and or your children only know what you believe, but not why you believe it, I strongly encourage you to get that foundation. Secondly, you need we all need to muster the courage to stand for his truth despite peer pressure, even actual persecution. If you and I don't have a God worth dying for, we don't have a God worth living for. But make sure that your persecution is not because of your sin, your problems, but for Christ's sake and for righteousness. Continue speaking the truth in love as long as you can, as long as God allows you to speak and this may very well require escape from persecution. Trust the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Trust that the Spirit will also tell you when it's time to escape or to stand and take the persecution for God's glory and as a witness to others. Whether you were released because of your courageous witness or the contrary, you're punished. Even lose your life, but you receive your eternal reward. Now, this may be different for different people. Again, second century apologist Tertullian said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And the, so the effect of persecution and martyrdom is to actually spread the gospel around the world. Finally, rejoice and be glad in the midst of suffering for righteousness for Jesus. Why? Because that very suffering will receive a very great reward. And the greater the suffering your faith endures, the greater the reward you will receive in heaven. You're not going to get saved through suffering, but if you are saved, it will result in greater reward. This seems to be the message in Matthew 19. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands 
for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Paul comforts us in 2 Corinthians 4, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, if we just focus on the things that are seen, like our stuff, our careers, even our loved ones, all of which are temporary enjoyment in this world, we just might faint in the day of adversary, adversity and miss a far greater reward in eternity. So is not Jesus saying that he wills for his disciples to desire the reward of heaven more than any possible reward we can receive on earth? In Matthew 6, Jesus wills for us to have our treasure, not on earth, but in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus wills for our hearts to be so set on heaven that to leave this earth when our purpose has been fulfilled is a cause of rejoicing. So the desire of Jesus is for us to have our hearts, our hopes, our longings, and our joy primarily in heaven. Otherwise, it makes no sense for us to rejoice and be glad in the loss of our earthly joys. How shall we rejoice and be glad when these things are taken from us if we cannot have love, if we don't love heaven more? So look back at the prophets of old. They were persecuted and killed for the cause of God and his righteousness. In, in Hebrews 11, it tells us, By faith the saints suffered mocking and scourging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins and sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, of whom the world was not worthy. And Paul tells us that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Again, in Colossians 3, Paul urges believers to look forward. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is in your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. So look to the prophets. For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Look to the martyrs. Whatever you must do to get your heart in heaven and off of the world, do it. Otherwise, you will not be able to obey the command of our Lord. Rejoice and be glad in persecution. In 1956, uh, a group of missionaries in Ecuador made international news as they attempted to take the gospel to the Wadani tribe, a very hostile and warlike people. Uh, they flew over the jungle and dropped packages of goods just to show their goodwill. They even landed and made direct contact with three tribesmen, uh, showing them kindness. About 50 years later, Christy and I were watching a movie called Into the Spear, and something came over me. It was kind of like deja vu all over again. That's a Yogi Bearism. <laughs> because I knew the storyline. I had already heard this before. And it, it came back to me that about 10 years before that movie, 
I had a missionary couple in my office, and the, the wife was either the little sister or the niece of a guy named Nate Saint. And she told me this story uh, about how uh, they had landed, five men had landed uh, next to a river, and Nate and a guy named Jim Elliott and three other men were immediately speared to death. Shockwaves went out throughout the world. Eventually, thousands of Christians identified the news of their death of those five young men as the turning point in their lives. In her book, Through Gates of Splendor, written a year after the deaths, Jim Elliott's widow, Elizabeth, described some of the remarkable early results which seemed to come from a tragic loss. The places of service vacated by those five men were more than filled many times over by men and women who moved and were motivated by, their, by the selfish sacrifice of these men. Later, Elizabeth Elliot and Nate Saint's sister returned and evangelized that tribe, had the Bible translated into their language. Steve Saint, who was only a little boy when his father was killed, came back and formed a special relationship with one of the older tribesmen who had been converted. And then later, that tribesman confessed to Steve that, in fact, he was the one who had killed Steve's father. But Steve knew where his father was, and he knew that this tribesman would meet his father in eternity. I think it was Jim Elliott who said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So Elliot and Saint and the other three men now have something they cannot lose. Now, should we not steal our faith, temper our courage, and trust in him so that no matter what we face, we will know with confidence that it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. So if you'd stand up, we'll recite a passage here out of Romans 8. Okay, together. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the 